Hello, and welcome to Live Like the World is Dying, your podcast for what feels like the end times. I'm your host, Margaret Kiljoy. I use she and they pronouns. This week, I'm talking to Deviant Olaf, who's a security researcher, a hacker, basically. Only instead of just hacking computers, Deviant hacks his way into buildings as part of a, doing um, physical pen testing of basically breaking into buildings to see how it's done. I'm excited to have Deviant on the podcast for a lot of reasons, and I think that you'll get a lot out of what he has to say about how so many keys, you know, so many locks in this world all use the same keys and what those keys are and learning how to let yourself in. And also a lot of this is really useful when you think about your own security, when you think about the ways in which people might be able to access you through your various means of physical security. This podcast is a proud member of the Channel Zero Network of Anarchist Podcasts. And here's another podcast from the network. Well, it's not another podcast. It's a jingle. It's like a little... A little teaser for another podcast on the network. Did it? Did it? KiteLine is a weekly 30-minute radio program focusing on issues in the prison system. You'll hear news along with stories from prisoners and former prisoners as well as their loved ones. You'll learn what prison is, how it functions, and how it impacts all of us. Behind the prison walls, a message is called a kite. Whispered words, a note passed hand-to-hand, a request submitted to the guards for medical care. Illicit or not, sending a kite means trusting that other people will bear it farther along until it reaches its destination. Here on KiteLine, we hope to share these words across the prison walls. You can hear us on the Channel Zero Network and find out more at kitelineradio.noblogs.org. So this week I'm talking to Deviant Olaf, and if you could introduce yourself with your name, which I guess I just said, and your pronouns, and any political or, or organizational affiliations, make maybe what you do for a living might be relevant to this particular episode. Sure. So thank you for having me on. I'm Deviant Olaf. I use he, him pronouns, and I show up a lot in odd places in, <laughs> in the hacker world and on the internet. Most people who have ever come across me or my work probably know me from something relating to the physical security space mm-hmm. that can stem from locks and lock picking, where I am on the board of the Open Organization of Lock Pickers. Tool is a nonprofit that mm-hmm. has been teaching about locks and lock picking to people for oof, decades now, it seems. And we run the Lockpick Village at major events like DEF CON and a lot of smaller regional events as well. I own companies that work in this space. I am a consultant and covert entry technician. I'm a locksmith. I'm a safe technician. But the physical security world is pretty broad. Mm -hmm. So it gets into matters of, you know, maybe security on the road and security moving around in cities. Uh, I have plenty of affiliation, as do other people in my family, with people who are, we'll say, sometimes disadvantaged in the security side of things, Mm -hmm. either people who are housing insecure, or I do a ton of work with uh, the Sex Workers Outreach Project, so SWAP and SWAP Behind Bars. I have lectured and talked to sex workers and other people in the communities that have to kind of move through cities in ways that either they are not noticed, so you don't want to stand out, or they have to position themselves in environments that their security might not be um, 100%. So I have a whole talk actually that's just called From Street to Suite. Mm-hmm. And it's like, imagine, you know, a high rise building and there's this room up in a nice high floor that seems safe. What are all of the steps from the curbside all the way up to that room and all the barriers that should protect you or inhibit someone from getting up there? And let's walk through like knocking each one of them down. And that goes hand in hand with a lot of the 
work I've done that isn't really lock picking, mm -hmm. but has to do with lock bypassing or bypassing of access control systems. Uh, things like key to like systems. People have this famous key ring that they've been building now in the community. Mm -hmm. I gave this talk in South <laughs> Dakota once and people like always freeze frame right at around the half hour mark, like 30, 30 minutes, 30 seconds in where there's this list of keys that I always carry. It's a small list, mm -hmm. right? But now there's, it started like eBay auctions would show up and it was calling <laughs> it like Deviant's key ring. And then there were on Amazon, like frequently bought together. And now there's just a, a locksmith uh, in Portland, Oregon uh, area who just runs hooligankeys.com. And it's a list of like my keys and other keys. And I, I don't make these keys, right? But I've mm -hmm. kind of popularized the idea of having a, a go kit with a certain set of keys in them is why pick the locks when you can just operate them like an authorized user. Yeah. And we can get into the other side of uh, the more kinetic physical security of firearms and the like. I've been uh, a frequent participant in the firearm community for ages and ages. I think much of the gun culture is a dumpster fire, <laughs> but friends of mine, uh, like my buddy Ian, who runs Forgotten Weapons, is just a very mellow, very happy, kind guy. My mm -hmm. buddy Carl, Gun Jesus, who runs In Range TV. Yeah, Gun Jesus yeah. and the Sauerkraut. Absolutely. Uh -huh. <laughs> um, yeah, Carl is always taken tons of incoming fire from a lot of the edge floored type gun community people because he speaks out very op very plainly and very loudly mm -hmm. uh, about Black Lives Matter, about fighting against racism and fascism. He's the one who runs two gun matches where like furries will routinely show up and he'll just open. He's like, oh, nice to see you again. You're going to run the whole course, course of fire in the full suit. It's pretty hot today. That's the most uh, 2020 shit I think I've heard all week. Um, yeah, right on. I wanted to have you on the show because, you know, I, I was I was reaching out to, to one of my one of our friends in common. And I was like, well, who does physical pen testing? You know, who does this stuff of basically figuring out how to get into places that either you're not supposed to be or maybe have been abandoned? And, mm -hmm. you know. And my friend said, oh, you need to talk to Deviant. And I was like, okay. And so I, I looked you up and I was like, oh, this is literally the person that I've been watching the YouTube videos of for the past, you know, it's not like, like about once a year, I'll, I guess I, I'll watch a talk of you talking about mm -hmm. how to um, spit your drink through doors to trigger <laughs> yeah. motion sensors. Um, yeah. A lot of people have seen that opening the bank at late at night. Yeah. With a glass of whiskey. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> so... From a prepping point of view, you know, you said that you mm -hmm. have these these um, these keys on your go kit. Um, would you would you consider yourself a prepper? So yeah, it's one of those very loaded terms where if you if you use the phrase prepper on paper, mm -hmm. that can just mean a certain set of skill, collecting certain skills, collecting certain tools. Mm -hmm. But if you use it in conversation. A lot of people attach a bunch of politics to that and a bunch of worldview to that. There's some people who are, you know, if you hear someone's a prepper, you might think, well, they're planning for something they think is coming. Mm -hmm. As opposed to if you tell someone, well, yeah, I mean, I learned first aid because I hike and, you know, I learned gun skills because personal security and maybe I'm going to go hunting. People attach different meaning to why are you learning these things? So on paper, I could certainly be described as having a prepper's mindset. My wife and I, for example, we'll, we'll toe in the water gently on this one, right? Mm -hmm. Every six months, we do an evac drill from the house, right? We, mm -hmm. we live in a major metropolitan area. We live, it's relatively geologically stable, not like when I was in Montana, where nothing will ever hit Montana. But uh -huh. let's say there was a climato climatologically a really bad flood. We're in a coastal area. If you just had to leave 
fast. Mm-hmm. Well, you can do the run around your house like a nincompoop thing. Mm-hmm. Or what we have is we have a large bag with mo- like plenty of you know clothes for a few days, you know, some medical supplies, duplicates of medicines. But we also have in the small gun safe, because like the bulk of the guns are all in the basement <laughs> or in the cabin or somewhere else. But like the bedroom gun safe mm-hmm. contains within it some household valuables, the bedroom gun, Mm -hmm. and a list. And it's just literally the comfort of, okay, you open the gun safe, there's a backpack underneath it. Mm -hmm. Step one is if you have to, like if the house is on fire, Mm -hmm. throw everything from that little lockbox, which is about all the bits of precious in the house Mm -hmm. and the gun in the backpack, get the hell out of the house. If you have another five minutes, well, then you grab items like two and three, mm-hmm. you know, you go, you step it down. The cats are like items two and three basically. Mm-hmm. And, you know, then if, if you have another five minutes, well, then there's, you get some art off the walls. She's created a lot of art over the years. And I have, you know, I went on Amazon, I got $7 little zipper art sleeves. Mm-hmm. So within 20, 30 minutes, the truck could be meaningfully loaded in a way that if we had to like leave the house and potentially never come back mm-hmm. or not get back for six months to a year, um, we'd be okay. Like re- better than if we ran out of the house with mismatched socks, one boot and uh, a magazine of ammo for a gun we didn't grab. Like, <laughs> so just doing that every six months. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's a pain, right? Like it's a pain to load all this heavy crap into the truck because the last things on the list tend to be like, all right, if you have five more minutes, just grab more ammo, grab mm-hmm. more ammo <laughs> and then drive, you know, grab a couple fuel cans and mm-hmm. throw, throw them on the, on the roof rack. Don't even strap them down. Mm-hmm. So it's a pain, but each time we do it, we iterate for better. Yeah. We're like, oh, wow. Why is number seven? That's back upstairs. Oh, I should have grabbed that first. If I was mm-hmm. running downstairs, I should have just grabbed like her flight bag. She's a pilot, mm-hmm. you know? So grab her flight bag because if we ever need to rent an aircraft, get in a plane, leave. Mm-hmm. So iterating for better, it's soothing to me. It's very calming. Now, does that make me a prepper? Because I have done probably way more than most of the population uh-huh. for a disaster that I don't think is ever coming. Right. Uh, I think we're a very resilient region out here. We have a very strong municipal infrastructure. We have a very nice culture. Uh, people are pretty easygoing in the Pacific Northwest. Mm-hmm. And yeah, do I think anything's going to really ever jump off horribly? No. But if that makes me a prepper because I want to just know that I you know, could leave if I had to, mm-hmm. sure, I'll, I'll wear that label. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that, that actually, that's one of the whole kind of points of the show is to, I don't, I, I guess I'll use the word prepper a lot just as a shorthand, but then, you know, usually I, I'm pretty much just talking about individual and community preparedness mm-hmm. because I throw in the community in there because otherwise I'm just talking about a different thing than people think that I might otherwise be talking about. But I really like this idea that you're toe in the water about it and you're like, oh, I mean, don't get me wrong. We have our list and the priorities written and we do drills. Um, Mm -hmm. That is more than I think that uh, most people, even people who sort of would identify as preppers or, Mm or being really into preparedness bother doing. Probably. What I, cause I think that doesn't cost me anything, mm-hmm. right? Two days out of the year. And mm-hmm. it's not like it's a day long activity. Literally it's a half hour fire drill. Right. Uh, versus people who literally tie up a lot of their personal resources and space with stuff. Right. Stock like this. A lot of people think of prepping as stockpiling mm-hmm. with no skill building and no community building. In fact, that was really, I think it's a profound statement about society and how the certain mindset is that when the pandemic hit, Mm -hmm. a lot of people who were that kind of, uh, 
<laughs> like Burt Gummer in the movie Tremors, right? Like that generation of prepper, mm -hmm. they were preparing all their life for a disaster that didn't come. Right. The disaster wasn't you become a warlord up in the pines and the hills and have what a harem of like disaffected <laughs> citizens who turn to you as the <laughs> warlord god and they bow down for your spare beans and guns. That wasn't the that wasn't the disaster we got. We got mm -hmm. a disaster that basically said you have to look out for your neighbors and watch out for one another and be kind right. in community. Right. And it made a lot of people really freaking sore about that fact <laughs> because they're like, oh, that's not the disaster I wanted. <laughs> so um, to shift into the, one of the things you mentioned is that, you know, things are key to like, and this is something mm -hmm. that I think I really lit up about. I mean, I've known how to lockpick for a while. Like I'm not... I'm no expert at it, but, you know, occasionally it's very nice to get into public restrooms or dumpsters or things like that. I would never obviously advocate anyone do those sorts of things. But um, mm -hmm. but I, I was reading this story the other week uh, about wildfire in the West, on, out West, and was talking about how at one point, in order to get emergency crews out of an area, a they had to use heavy equipment to push all the abandoned cars out of the road. And I was mm -hmm. thinking about heavy equipment, and then I was I knew I was going to be interviewing you. And I was thinking about how apparently most cat equipment all uses the same key. Is that is that true? Oh, yeah. That is very, very similar. Caterpillar, Kubota, like all of these major brands, Genie mm -hmm. Lifts, Sunbelt, mm -hmm. a lot of them tend to have uniform keys, not even a key series of a small number, mm -hmm. but like a key. And <laughs> if you ever see a lot of equipment, it, the keys, when we're using key mm -hmm. in a broad sense, a lot of them are barely more than safety interlock switches mm -hmm. with a little widget that's kind of a little fork of metal or something. The Caterpillar one looks more key-like than others. Okay. But yeah, a lot of these devices, they just have... This really gets into a term that I love, mm -hmm. and I'm, I've been meaning to do a video on this for ages. It was inspired by every time someone posts like a clip on Twitter or on Instagram of like a fence. Mm -hmm. They're like, oh, I'm going to my neighbor's apartment building. Look at this fence. I can reach right over it and I can hit the latch from the other side. Mm -hmm. There's a concept that I wish society understood better, especially in the security world, which is that there can be security products, security, meaningful locks, mm -hmm. and then there can be symbolic locks. Yeah. The fact that someone has a perimeter fence around their apartment complex. And yeah, like you could reach over the, the bar or you can reach through the bars and hit the thing on the other side. It's not that no one can get past it. It might not even be that high a fence, right? It mm -hmm. might be a five, six foot fence. The point is, it's a demonstration of commitment. If you are discovered on the other side of that fence, you can't pretend that it was an accident. You right. can go, oh, I just mm -hmm. wandered through here. This isn't the way to shop class. <laughs> like it's, you did that. You yeah. know, you did that. So a symbolic lock in many of these devices, mm -hmm. it represents a moment of commitment. Like I am going to operate this machine now. It, you didn't just bump or flip a button. Mm -hmm. Like, no, you took a key and stuck it in a hole and turned it. Right. So, and you were carrying that. Yeah. That's what those, a lot of the heavy equipment really is. They're, they're safety interlocks and they are positive confirmation that you are asserting, I am supposed to be doing what I'm doing. Mm -hmm. Even if you're just asserting it to yourself or the ones around you. But that's why these keys don't have to be 
outrageously complex. And in mm-hmm. fact, the customer service side of things would be a nightmare. They don't want to have customers calling and saying, wait, I need to order another key. Well, what's your serial number? Well, it's on a data plate that's long been scraped away by gravel and rust. Right. Like, uh, I don't know what my serial number to my front end loader is, you know? So yeah, a lot of these large pieces of equipment in our world are in fact all very, very key to like. And anyone who wants to poke about this some more, if you, you can look on Amazon right now, uh, Tornado is the vendor. Tornado makes the heavy equipment key set mm-hmm. and it comes in different iterations, different sizes of key set. Uh, the largest one is almost like a hundred some keys, but it's not an unachav- unattainable price, right? These, mm-hmm. these aren't complex keys. A lot of them are just stamped pieces of metal. So yeah, we have that in our bag on our covert entry jobs. And we've been able to, I've never taken like a boom lift and gotten on a roof <laughs> just that way. Uh, there's probably some OSHA violation involved if I do that, but mm-hmm. I, I could, I've demonstrated to clients walking around job sites. I'm like, so if you want to turn this key, you can mm-hmm. for liability, I shouldn't, but if you want to start, try to start that up, Oh, look at that. Start it up. Okay. Mm-hmm. Turn that off. Turn that off. Turn the oil <laughs> pressure off too. Okay. You know, but, uh, yeah, like just having a giant key set that opens a ton of stuff. Mm-hmm. That's nice to have around. What is the, um. You know, so I've looked into this key set. I've done literally the same thing where I, I Googled, you know, Deviance key ring. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, yeah, and I found um, lots of spare keys here and there on Amazon with like notes about sell only to locksmiths. And then eBay has like pen tester key ring where you can buy, you know, for pretty mm-hmm. cheap, you can buy like a whole bunch of elevator keys and RV keys. And um, I don't know whether the heavy equipment keys are on there, including some stuff that's like, um the ford police cruisers for example and oh yeah to be real oh, yeah the reason i didn't buy the key ring is because it had the ford police cruisers on it and i i think about my own threat modeling and i personally think it is more likely that the police are going to be curious about the things that i own than that i'm going to have an opportunity after the apocalypse to need to pilot a vehicle that is part of the Ford Fleet series. But I'm curious if you know much about the the legality of acquiring, owning, using keys like this. Right. So the main part that can trip you up, so almost in any instance, keys are not defined. Now, I'm not a lawyer, mm-hmm. uh, but in my my readings of most statutes, keys are not defined in the same way that lock picks are defined under the ah, law. Interesting, For those who don't know, mm-hmm. and uh, Tool, the, the 501c3 has done, actually done legal research. Our lawyers have pulled the lock picking laws in all states. Mm-hmm. So most states have a burglary tools statute. And that is, you know, tools or implements that could be used to commit burglarious offenses and things like that and felonious entry. And it's mm-hmm. a very flowery language that's often outdated to our ears today. Most states will have an intent clause Mm -hmm. for any type of multi-purpose item. So for example, burglary tools aren't just lock picks. Mm -hmm. A crowbar can be a burglary tool. A pipe wrench can be a burglary tool. Mm -hmm. But those, you know, they sell those at Home Depot. People own those and don't go to jail. How is this possible? Well, because intent. If the circumstances of the situation demonstrate that you may have criminal intent, Mm -hmm. you're facing different, different legal ramifications for owning that crowbar. Yeah. Now, lock picks specifically, we start to get into items that aren't necessarily multi-purpose items. Mm-hmm. They're not multi-use. Lock picks kind of only have one real use. So again, in many burglary tools statutes, lock picks are called out specifically as greater scrutiny. 
mm-hmm. and there's a handful of states. Uh, the most famous four would be Virginia, Mississippi, Nevada, and oh, it's uh, killing me here. Is it? Is it Ohio? Oh my God! We there's one other Ohio. state that has. Uh, yeah, there's one other state where it is um, prima facie evidence on its face mm-hmm. that this is evidence of your ill intent because these tools, hey, come on now, this is not a crowbar that can do many things. Right. You know, this is obviously criminal. Now, keys, on the other hand, keys are on the other side of the coin. Mm-hmm. Keys are much more likely to have a legitimate purpose than they are to have an illegitimate purpose. Mm-hmm. And if you can demonstrate any kind, you could say, no, like I have a product that this key opens, you know, this mm-hmm. is my key. It's one of the funny things about, do you know, this is another key to like fact. I know we're jumping around, but the listeners sure, yeah. are tracking, hopefully. Mm-hmm. Um, when properties are abandoned mm-hmm. and they fall under the control of HUD or a number of other agencies that have to do uh, foreclosure work. If a property is semi-derelict, or at the very least, if a contractor is brought in to assess the condition of a property before a bank sale, most of those properties get rekeyed. They get rekeyed to a set of standard lock and keys. Hmm. So a standard set of quick set locks, a standard set of padlock key. There's one padlock key. It's literally, I did a video about this on my channel. It is the, the most common master lock key in the world mm-hmm. because there's just oodles and oodles and oodles and oodles of locks with this one key. Mm-hmm. Because all across this country, properties that are abandoned have padlocks on gates and other entrances. They're all the same key. Mm-hmm. Now, if you own that key and only the key, that's a bit of a noodle scratcher. Someone might say, you know, why do you have this key? What are right. you doing with this? But remember, I said it's also the most common freaking lock right. because there, there are vendors on it. If you look on Amazon, I found these locks for a dollar mm-hmm. because they have to sell tons of them to contractors. Mm-hmm. Well, if you own the lock and the key, mm-hmm. then it's a lot more plausible why you own that key. Well, this is the key to my lock. Mm-hmm. So the idea of a police cruiser you know, key, mm-hmm. and this we're talking about the Ford Motor Company, as many mo- automotive manufacturers, they have what's called fleet keying is an option for many. Uh, if you want to buy a bunch of models of car from one vendor, they say, can you key them all alike? A vendor can do that. Mm-hmm. And they have a key series, like the 1284X, the most common one is just the first entry in that key series, the 1294X, the, I think, C101, C102. But the, if you own no Ford vehicles and you've never even worked for a company that drove Ford vehicles, again, someone might say, well, why do you have this one particular key? Right. If, however, someone had ever, in the course of their employment, been a taxi driver, been any kind of delivery, any kind of vehicle driver where you might have used a key because that was the key. If you had a a fleet keyed vehicle, Mm -hmm. that's a person who might have a plausible explanation as to why they have that key. So everyone's life is different and everyone, as you point, everyone's kind of risk profile is different for Mm -hmm. what questions they may have to answer based on the things they own. Yeah. Yeah, sometimes it's kind of awful, but sometimes I see people with uh, really cool uh, lockpick earrings, and I think to myself, mm-hmm. "You don't interact with police very often." Um, <laughs> yeah, and maybe that's unfair. And custodial, oh yeah, and, and custodial detention is a special animal under the law. Mm-hmm. Again, not a criminal lawyer, uh, but I do know that there are certain things like duty to inform, where if you have keys or lockpicks or anything on your possession of a handcuff key. There was a famous case, famous for the lockpicking world, mm-hmm. uh, just some poor uh, unhoused person who was getting rousted about by the police. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think he was known to the area. He was, they would just, one of these 
people that just get targeted and harassed routinely, right? Mm-hmm. And the cops had him in their cruiser again, but he had a piece of jewelry. He had a like a necklace that included odd stuff on it. One of them was a handcuff key. Mm-hmm. Well, that was considered evidence of attempted escape from police custody, the mere possession of the key. Yeah. Uh, without informing them. And how quickly was he arrested? How quickly was he processed and detained and then left alone? Did he even have an opportunity to say, hey, I have this key on me? That's unknown. Right. That's interesting. I, I only know about duty to inform in like, um, you know, in North Carolina where I live, I have a, a duty to inform officers that I'm armed uh, as a concealed yes. carry holder. Um, yeah. And the idea of having a duty, I mean, you know, and it changes my, again, it changes my threat assessment. I'm like, am, am I more likely to be in a situation in which I need to tell a cop that I'm armed and therefore see a potential escalation in that entire encounter? Or do I, you know, it, it makes me wonder whether I should carry a gun on a given day um, as someone who carries mm-hmm. a gun for self-defense. Um, mm-hmm. And so that's interesting to to see that applied to locks and and these you know because in some ways i want to say like these pen testing key rings seem like brilliant bug out bag items right like just mm-hmm. um now of course you have you figured out the best deal of all which is that your job is that you get hired by, correct me if i'm wrong but your job is that companies come and say hey can anyone break into our servers including physically and your job is to mm-hmm. break into their server rooms and in which case yes owning all of this stuff is is actually like i mean you you get to write this stuff off on your taxes like i i assume it's kind of just chill for you for the most part mm-hmm. um and also i'm not at all blind to the fact that i just walk through the world in a much much more of a friction free state mm-hmm. because i the way i present like i have a very frictionless interaction with most parts of society i have a lot of privilege mm-hmm. uh but even if i didn't have that having the job as you point out having the job being a locksmith being a safe technician mm-hmm. having things that are just well it's the same the same reason that a chef might have chef's knives on them mm-hmm. like why are you carrying a bunch of knives oh that they're a chef okay you know, <laughs> i guess so why not so what do you carry in your like in your day-to-day sure so we'll start um, with the sort of most, most minimal. Mm-hmm. Uh, I have a smartphone, right? Mm-hmm. And I started adding, I, there's a little, like a little pouch. It's not one of those fold open wallets that holds my phone, but there's just stuck, adhesive stuck to the back of my phone case is a little pouch that contains one credit card and my passport card. Mm-hmm. And this is the thing, like if I grab my smartphone and just leave the house, I can meaningfully have an entire day out and about because right. I have one piece of ID and it's my favorite piece of ID, by the way, whenever I get a new passport, I always get the passport card as well because it is like, it's the most ironclad government ID. It's a passport literally, but mm-hmm. it has no address on it. Uh, oh, so, wow. you know, it's your, it's your passport. It's just, yeah. here's your passport number and here's you. Mm-hmm. So it says, yes. I am an American. This is my age. This is this is my name. And the you can, uh, I can say, fuck right off if you want to know anything else. Because, you yeah. know, I don't want a bar that I'm going into to know where I live. I don't want, it's not their business. Right. And if I were to ever interact with an authority figure in a state that requires you to show ID after, mm-hmm. you know, High Bell v. Nevada, um, like, here's my ID. Like, I have identified myself and that is all. Yeah. Uh, but that, that phone, which I said is in a phone case, mm-hmm. Inside of my phone case, if I peel the phone case open, I have a couple more things. I have some very thin bypass and decoding tools 
that can be used to um, work on. There's a very popular style padlock, this little multi-wheel brass colored padlock mm-hmm. that Masterlock makes. Uh, it's, there's a billion people who've cloned this padlock at this point. But that you can just bypass those. You can pop them open. And for example, when I lived in Montana, there was a gun range that I had a I was able to go shoot at this gun range, and that was what their gate was always locked with. Well, every mm-hmm. now and then they would change the combination, and they were not always great about communicating that combination change. And mm-hmm. it was a rusty <laughs> old lock. It didn't uh-huh. work well. I didn't like run. And it's cold. It's freaking Montana. I don't want to put my gloves off. But I could bypass the lock faster than I could try to fiddle with the combination. Right. What does the bypass so just started, look like? So go ahead. What is the bi- what is a bypass for a combination lock? So that particular lock, the multi-wheel lock, the original mm-hmm. of which it was called the Sesame lock, like open Sesame, mm-hmm. uh, and then Master cloned it and other people have cloned the design. That would be called either the Sesame lock bypass or the Master 175 bypass. That's mm-hmm. the model that Master makes. Uh, it is just inserting the this thin blade into the body of the lock next to one of the wheels and rocking it. You're, you're trying to rock a little plate of metal hmm. on the inside and springs the lock right open. So it's like carding a door kind of. Almost, almost. You're, you're, tr- you're t- triggering a release in okay. a way. Um, that same little mini tool, that same thin mm-hmm. blade of metal can be used to decode many, many multi-wheel locks. So if you've ever seen properties that have lock boxes outside, uh, very mm-hmm. popular is a the probably again the most market penetration you're going to see is master lock and their competing clones that are this sort of gray and black vaguely trapezoidal pear shaped lump that's either mounted to a wall or it has a little horseshoe on top you know a shackle so it's mounted to like a doorknob or a handle mm-hmm. uh, it's the master 5400 series key box that and all of its clones by sticking a blade of metal in next to the wheels i can run the wheels <laughs> and you can feel where they catch and you can uh-huh. pop you can pop key boxes open so again i've gone to airbnbs mm-hmm. uh for i've been traveling and the host didn't send the check-in email or <laughs> you know i love being way out in the middle of nowhere so i'll get a mm-hmm. cabin with tara or something you drive out it's late at night the host has long since gone to bed no cell service mm-hmm. and you're like oh <laughs> shit i didn't get the combination for that but it's one of those dumbass key boxes mm-hmm. so i'm like all right well i can decode this mm-hmm. and then get inside the cabin and oh there's wi-fi great Oh, now I can get the connection. Oh, well, that was the combination that I found. So I have tools like that mm-hmm. under my uh, phone case. Mm-hmm. I have a little piece of, you know, soda can metal, mm-hmm. like the soda can padlock sham, right? I have a couple. Is that something pre-cut. that goes in between the, uh, it goes like into where the, what the shackle, the, the U at the top of a lock? Mm-hmm. Is that what that is? Yeah. So slipping a piece of metal uh, and people have talked about on this online and mm-hmm. they can Google beer can padlock shim and you'll mm-hmm. see people doing this. It's putting a piece of metal, a thin piece of metal in just the right spot next to the shackle and jamming it down into mm-hmm. the lock body. Well, as you've analogized, it's like credit carding a door. It's mm-hmm. you can slip the latch on the lock to spring to spring the catch open. Okay. Now, what I'll do is I don't always walk around with a multi-tool with scissors on it. Mm-hmm. But I don't need scissors if I've already cut the metal. Mm -hmm. So I'll pre-cut the metal, a couple of them, and leave them under my phone case. And I haven't folded them into shape. So they're nice and flat. They take up no space. Mm -hmm. So I have a variety of little tools like that under my phone case. I have, you know, a SIM card tool and some other stuff. Okay. So that's my most, at my most basic every, every day carry, Mm because I always have a phone on me. And those basic tools are in my phone case. Mm -hmm. Now, if we were to move it into my pockets... I always have a very tiny lockpick set. Mm-hmm. Um, 
In fact, my buddy of mine, lockpicking lawyer, and he's done a lot of uh, multi-wheel lock decoding. It's one of his specialties that he'll scramble the wheels on camera and then flip the lock back over and decode it rapidly with or without bypass tools. Okay. He's done a little pocket set video that he has. I've, I've got a similar pocket-sized set. It's basically chopped down lock picks. Mm-hmm. Um, and there are, there are some other folding pocket sets that are popular for people to have. Uh, mine just happened to be a set that I had evolved over the years. Okay, can I, by one yeah. thing I can brag about having picked a lock once in my life. I mean, I've was, uh, I was living in the squat in the South Bronx and someone mm-hmm. booked a show, but all the PA was l- locked in his room and then he was mm-hmm. late to the show and the show wasn't going to be able to start. And so I, I walked around and looked in the gutter until I found a street cleaner bristle that was, that wasn't old and rusty. Uh, yeah. I bent it into a tension wrench and then used a safety mm-hmm. pin as a pick and I Hell yeah. picked the padlock and saved the show. And it was like of all of the locks I've picked in my life, which is not a ton. Right. I was like, this is it. It was all That's worth so it. Satisfying. I did something good. He was really mad when he came home and that I broke into his room, but I feel perfectly justified. Absolutely. I think that's a, that's a, that's a win in my book. That goes pretty yeah. well. Because this person had an obligation to others and, you know, the people, friends got to step in and make sure the show must go on. Yeah. Okay. So, so you carry the, the tiny chopped down lockpick set. Mm-hmm. And so of course uh, with yeah. the lockpick set, you need like all of the different weird things, right? It needs to be at least like, like 15 or different different lock it's picks, pretty right? minimal it's um <laughs> just a couple of rakes mm-hmm. a little um a little hook and a little diamond mm-hmm. and a variety of turner tools i have more turner tools jammed into that mm-hmm. than i have uh pick tools because again most situations that these are expedient situations where like maybe i'll throw this at the situation see what happens mm-hmm. and if it doesn't work in a few minutes I'm probably going to pivot to try something else, mm-hmm. uh, either go get proper tools or what have you. Mm-hmm. Uh, and this is, it's funny, this loops back around to sort of that other prepper thing where I said a lot of preppers are just collectors of stuff mm-hmm. where like, well, this is my go bag. And you start putting more and more crap in it so you can't even carry it around. Right. Then like, how useful is it? So yeah, I try to keep my stuff that's on me as minimal as possible. Right. I've taken things off of my everyday carry key ring in the past uh, as opposed to trying to add to it for every new whiz bang fun thing. Mm-hmm. And that everyday carry key ring is the one that shows up. Uh, it's shown up in a few talks, but the one that everyone shares is this talk I gave called I'll let myself in. Mm-hmm. And it's about halfway through that talk that you see this set of keys, which uh, we can talk about now. I can rattle them off by memory. Yeah. If you want to talk about what they open too, I found that that's yeah. one of the things that kind of is the most um candy of these talks you know because you just i think people like these talks because they like to imagine like the power that access grants them you know um oh absolutely so so sure what's on your what's on your everyday carry key ring sure so there is and this is the one that i would use the least Mm -hmm. Uh, i actually have just demonstrated it so often that i carry it with me there's a there's an elevator key called the feo k1 this is if anyone has seen a lot of talks about elevator hacking this comes up a lot. Mm-hmm. Most elevators, much like heavy equipment, have industry default keys. Each brand of elevator will have their unique set of keys that their fixtures just tend to be key to like. Well, the FEOK1 was meant to be a superseding standard that across brands of elevator, 
this would be the emergency fire service operation key. Mm -hmm. uh, this was pushed as a standard in the past and has later been walked back because people realize it's a huge security <laughs> risk. Uh -huh. But being able to demonstrate to clients rapidly, hey, this key probably puts your elevators in fire service mode. You got a good chance of it here to want to try it. Um, that key, which also, this is another interesting thing about moving around buildings. Elevators, if you're in an area that has, by code, adopted the FEOK1, well, it mm -hmm. costs money to rekey your elevator. And you have to recertify it if you start tinkering with the, you know, the panel, right? So it's a solution that many buildings, and you start noticing this. I'll say this, and then people, listeners will be like, oh, oh man, I think I've seen that. And they're going to start seeing it more. Let's say you own a building and you have Otis Elevators, big name in the industry, right? Mm -hmm. Well, your default Otis Elevator is going to have a fire key. That's going to be the UTF key. That's Otis's fire key. And maybe you've got eight elevators in a bank and you've got another elevator down in the parking garage. You don't want to rekey all these elevators. That's big bucks, right. but you got to comply with that FEOK1 thing. Well, you can call up supplier like Vader products or Adams or some other company that supplies the elevator industry and get a little red box and mount that in your lobby. And if you start walking into big buildings and offices and hotels, you might start seeing these little red boxes on uh -huh. the wall. That box can be keyed to FEOK1. Uh, and, and inside that, that box key. is your building's fire key. And a lot of times other stuff, <laughs> the elevator equipment room key, the key to the roof, the key to the sprinkler valves. I mean, mm -hmm. a, a lot of stuff just winds up in those red boxes. Mm -hmm. So on penetration jobs, I have my elevator key, but I've never had to futz with the elevator. That's, you know, thing we don't do without special permission. Mm -hmm. But if I could pop that red box on the wall, suddenly I've got half the keys to the building. Right. So that FEOK1 is, is always with me. Mm-hmm. Uh, available online. If you ever search for it online and you see a lot of different vendors selling it, you're not sure who's who, I'll tell you this, I don't work for them. Mm -hmm. um, Ultimate Security Devices is this sort of scandal of the industry. This is mm -hmm. the real, here's the tea. Let's dish out the scandal <laughs> of the gossip uh -huh. world, right? <laughs> um, Ultimate Security Devices is Northeast Lock. Northeast Lock, huge vendor huge vendor and supplier, above board vendor and supplier in the elevator industry. Mm -hmm. Ultimate security devices is them selling stuff out the back door. <laughs> it's literally like the owner's wife who started an eBay account and then started a website. Uh -huh. And the industry gave, gives them a ton of shit for it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and every now and then their site kind of like went away and then it comes back. They, they move, they mm -hmm. move a lot of product out the back door mm -hmm. to not anybody. They'll, they'll sell to anybody. Okay. So that's your FEOK one. Mm -hmm. Um, there are two keys that I always have for access control boxes. Mm -hmm. uh, one is a company called Lanier. Uh, the Lanier company has uh, a lot of, pro these are like the sort of telephony boxes that where they're like an intercom system and you usually dial through a directory and they're, they're popular on mid like multi-tenant buildings, either mm -hmm. apartments or office buildings. Okay. Lanier, the official key to the, all the Lanier boxes uh, is the 222343 key, mm -hmm. which, again, if we dig into my talk, it's not always sold under that name. It's sold under older, obscure names. But Lanier has one key, and if you get it, I've, that, that opens a lot of Lanier boxes. But the big one for these telephony boxes that people, again, like if they've seen my talks, they've seen some slides, you can spot them a mile away, mm -hmm. uh, Door King Systems. Yeah. Door King is this vendor that has a very distinct feature on their boxes. They have these 
three big buttons, the A, Z, and call. They have these scrolling, you know, to dial through the directory buttons, these big mm-hmm. round silver buttons. And you start spotting those, you know, from your bike, just going down the block. You can look and be like, oh, door king, door king, another door king. <laughs> uh, all door kings from the factory since I think the 90s have been keyed to the 16120 key. Mm-hmm. That is the door king key. They have more keys in the series. There's a, a young kid who got mm-hmm. in touch with me. His name is Austin, Austin Tipo. Uh, he reached out. And he's like, hey, look, there's all these other keys. There's the 16122, the 16123. And he found, you know, he ordered them from a supplier. We were comparing the bidding on them. Mm. I'm like, fascinating. There's a whole key series. Never in my effing <laughs> life have I seen anything else used except the first one in the key series. Uh-huh. So I have that on me. Uh, and then the real other last couple of winners mm. are what we'll call cabinet keys. Mm-hmm. Um, if, uh, if I'm doing jobs in server rooms and technical spaces, uh, the EK333 key, the MCA333 key, is just a very popular server rack key. It opens a ton of stuff in, in data centers and servers, which is useful if I want to look like I belong there. Mm-hmm. If I've broken in and there's some other technician doing something, I can just turn to any direction to a big rack of stuff <laughs> and start shoving this key in it. It's probably going to open it. Uh-huh. And I just look like I'm servicing something. And they're like, oh, right. that guy must work here. Right. Is he with Verizon? What is that guy? Is with the Johnson <laughs> controls? Um, so yeah, the EK333. Um, C415A is an older key. I, I've started to, to drop it uh, mm-hmm. from some of my key rings, but that used to be, it would just open a lot of dumb wafer locks. It would open cabinets and locked panels. Mm-hmm. But the big one, the end all be all is the CH751. Mm-hmm. Um, the CH751 key and there's a whole like subreddit just for CH751 people sharing photos of where it works. That is the everything key in North America. Mm-hmm. Uh, every rinky dink wafer lock, which is a type of very cheap cabinet style lock, mm-hmm. every rinky dink lock that's just holding shut everything from toilet paper storage in the bathroom to like the phone cabinet over here to this little locked panel on the outside of a you know building that has the water control for the faucet. Mm-hmm it's a good chance that it might be CH751. A lot of RVs also, It's the most also, reused right? key in America. Say again? Uh, a lot of RVs also, right? Like the, oh, God, the yeah. side oh, of Oh, God, it. yeah. The default mm-hmm. key for RVs. Not for the ignition, typically, mm-hmm. but for all the panels, all the outside panels uh, and doors and okay. hatches. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. So that's my default loadout. Yeah. So a lot of your work, it seems like one of the things that you're trying to do is be invisible in the various places mm-hmm. that you go, you know, you're talking about how, like, as soon as you start opening, opening things with keys, everyone just assumes you're supposed to be there. I suppose that's the, the idea is that rather than walking around with a crowbar, which probably doesn't look as good to bystanders. Yeah. But yeah, there's something that comes from having the confidence mm-hmm. of someone who just looks like they belong there. Someone mm-hmm. who looks cool as a cucumber. Mm-hmm. And I, I have the, it's like rock climbing. If you're free climbing versus mm-hmm. rock climbing on a belay rig, right? If you know, you're not going to die, mm-hmm. you might make that very perilous leap to get another handhold mm-hmm. because you're emboldened by the sense that no harm can befall you. Mm-hmm. The fact that on jobs, I know I'm not going to get in trouble. I'm literally supposed to be there, even though I'm doing things that would otherwise be illegal. Mm -hmm. It allows me to present this air of like, even when security guards interface with me, right. They say, what are you doing here? Um, And one time there was a job that, again, we've told this story on some other show long ago. My buddy and Rob and I were literally breaking it. Like we're using bypass (laughs) tools. Uh We just set off an alarm Uh and we're trying to get through another door. And these security guards kind of come into this big warehouse space 
And Rob just thinks we are roasted. And the security guy's like, oh, well, can you put that stuff down? These big underdoor bypasses. Mm-hmm. Well, what are you guys doing here? And I just looked at him. I'm like, well, what does it look like we're doing here? That was just my, I just clapped back. <laughs> with, what does it look like we're doing? And it broke his brain because we didn't try to run. Uh-huh. We didn't thumper and offer like, oh, well, uh, you see, uh, my sister's sick. And I got, mm-hmm. we just, well, we could not be, could not be arsed to care which is what your average like you know Verizon guy or Comcast mm-hmm. technician would do if you caught caught him on the job like hey what are we doing in that wiring box he's what do you need me for is this your wiring box get out of my way you know yeah so being nonchalant is a form of invisibility mm-hmm. uh and this is you know if you're in a bar and someone next to you is acting all shifty and touching their pockets and looking at you and looking away you'd be like what is this person put something in my drink right. but if the person next to you in the bar is staring off into the middle distance, half the cigarette is ash because they're stuck in their own brain and they're not caring about whatever you're doing. That's a person that drops your threat radar usually. Like, well, they, they clearly don't look like a threat. They're yeah. in their own head. Mm-hmm. They don't care about me. I shouldn't care about them. So yeah, being able to look like you're just preoccupied with whatever mundane task you're doing, it makes other people more dismissive of you. Yeah. No, that makes sense. It, it also, it. I'm glad you brought up the fact that like, it's probably a lot easier for you to be cool as a cucumber when you know that at the end of the day you're not going to jail because you've you know been hired to break into this place but i bet it's mm-hmm. it's still probably good 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 training good practice to to learn how to to interface with folks um oh yeah one of the things that lie lie yeah. all the time for no reason because <laughs> it's it's just practice um one of the things that uh we used to always do is, you know, I, for a while I would make my living as a busker. I'd play accordion on the street Mm -hmm. and, um, it's really good cover. Uh, you know, if, if my friends are hanging a banner down the street and they need someone to look out, you just two crusty kids sitting by the side of the road, they get ignored by, I mean, they don't get ignored by cops, but cops aren't coming up being like, you all are involved with this direct action that's happening. You know, they're just going to harass you about anything else. Um, it's kind of awful, but like there's, there's just so many different ways to sort of be part of the landscape in people's oh, minds. Yeah. It feels especially insidious to, it, it almost feels like um, appropriating mm-hmm. a space that's not ours, but we have absolutely done sort of stakeouts of target buildings, mm-hmm. wanting to see like when employees come and go, uh, wanting to see when their guards are there, when they, maybe they don't have guards at night and adopting either the, that sort of posture or it's not all of our team are musically inclined, right? Mm-hmm. But adopting the posture of someone who's unhoused. Yeah. Um, we've had somebody just kind of, because you actually, especially look how many of our clients, as you point out, are tech firms, right? Mm-hmm. The biggest invisibility shield imaginable is being an unhoused person, a distressed person in San Francisco. Yeah. Because quote unquote, we'll call it respectable society goes out of their way to not notice you. Yeah. Um, and yeah, we've had teammates just kind of sit there under like a ratty blanket with a Starbucks cup with a couple coins in it. And they're mentally like literally on the back of a pizza box. Mm-hmm. One girl, she was just taking notes. This woman was <laughs> taking notes of like guard patterns uh-huh. on the back of this pizza box. And the front of the pizza box was, you know, <laughs> came out to parents, kicked me out. Anything helps. God mm-hmm. bless. Right. Um, yeah, it, it by all means, I, I never thought of the busking idea too, because that is kind of, it's almost the societal equivalent of that whistling, like whistling nonchalantly so uh-huh. as to not be thought of as a threat. <laughs> yeah, totally. 
like whistling row your yeah. row, row your boat or something yeah what you do is you get one person playing the instrument and then the other person is just like sitting next to them with a radio you know mm-hmm. but they're just like just sitting there and they they're the ones keeping yeah. track of of what's going on um <laughs> and I, you know i used to make a couple euro <laughs> when i would do that in amsterdam oh yeah um and um yeah actually i was listening to this um uh, i tried listening to an actual like a, a a proper prepper podcast the other day while I was driving and it was this guy who had infiltrated Antifa. Um, and the proud boys were good people, but the, the Antifa in Portland and they would have killed him oh if God. they'd known who he was and all this like just fucking bullshit. And I'm like, how do people take preparation advice from people who are so afraid of their neighbors? Cause that's anyway. Um, but the way that he uh, infiltrated the, the Portland protests, this right wing journalist, it's like right wing co- war correspondent guy. Um, he, he dressed up, you know, as an unhoused person, and mm-hmm. um, and what's funny is that it he wasn't invisible to the protesters. The protesters were like offering him like things and trying to talk to him and like, yeah. be like, hey, this might not be a good space for you to be in right now, but how are you doing? Um, mm-hmm. And of course, you know, he then goes on to demonize all of them. I didn't actually even make it all the way through it. But he's I was, not that dickbag who did like the oh, I wardrobe and I got all these sim, you know, IMEIs. No, and stuff. he's not that guy, is he? No, yeah. although that person who was lying, um, right, just got doxxed today by. I saw yeah. none of that held water. Like that, what they were claiming didn't make sense. And I'm not a real ones and zeros techno head, but I yeah, was like, well, that's bullshit. Yeah, I was caught up in all that, and they were like trying to claim I'm a leader of um, Portland Antifa, which is really interesting because I'm in southern appalachia and um also they claim they got it by war driving but my last name is spelled with one l on facebook and nowhere else and they doxed me with one l and by dox mm-hmm. i mean my name's on a list like right sorry um i'm it, it makes me i mean i don't know i, I don't want to like <laughs> i need to knock on wood about some of this but um you know they they like to i mean they're fucking larping they're they're trying yeah. to act like they're like super elite doing all of this amazing stuff and it was just like some guy in fucking north carolina who sat at his day job and um like you know trolled people's social media um anyway what would you, oh i actually have a question about a specific tool that mm-hmm. i got really excited about but i've never had a chance to use it's these eight-way keys these like wrenches that are not really keys it's like triangle wrenches and shit and they're meant to open like gas lines and water lines have you seen Mm -hmm. these they're like the little like star shaped oh yes are they are they what they're cracked up to be uh yes they are really useful in fact uh i believe silcox or sil silox silox Mm -hmm. that is one of the types of those it's like the little square or triangle one Mm -hmm. there is an eight way it almost looks like a little ninja star yeah there's an eight way like adapter that's the best one um it's again like cheap on amazon it's actually two cross-shaped ones that fit together and they because if you had eight points that close together it'd be hard to get a lot of them to stick into holes yeah but yeah that's the perfect kind of thing to we have one of those in our um grab it and get out of the you know get out of the house in that bag kind of tool because again, like you, there's plenty of places where you, you go to a rest area and for no reason, like the water fountain's turned off or the water yeah. faucet's turned off. And not because it's like cold in the winter, just because, mm-hmm. well, we, I don't know, who knows? We, people might get free water. That would be terrible. <laughs> uh, but yeah, those kind of things, those, I, I know hikers who, who carry them a lot right. because they, they're in the middle of nowhere. They just want to refill their water. And for some reason, the water's 
valve is turned off somewhere. Like with one of those non-handle, you have to stick a thing in a hole. Yeah. So I, I've known uh, trail hikers who have those on them. Okay. Yeah, because those are those are. You know, if I'm too nervous to walk around with a bunch of keys that operate heavy machinery when I clearly look like I'm up to no good, um, I do feel like something like that in a go bag to me is just like, I mean, one of the, the reasons I think about having is, yeah, turn on water or even like turn off the gas lines in your building if you're leaving because of an earthquake or whatever, you know, mm-hmm. um, and apparently they open uh, maybe subway doors or something. I'm not. Hmm, I'm not sure about that. Like the cars, the subway cars. You know, they they claim this, and I I'm imagining more like maybe the uh, the like windows or something. I don't know. You know, the ones that have. It the... might be the emergency release. So a lot of hmm. um, so a lot of like mechanical doors, door operators uh, on subway cars and things. There's an interlock, right? Mm-hmm. When there's no power the gears are statically stuck. They're stuck. They're like a screw cog gear, right? Mm-hmm. So if you can pop an interlock, then the door becomes free sliding. Uh, there might be something like that. I've never looked that closely, but now it makes me curious uh, if mass transit type doors have a little, a little hole next to them, that would make sense. And again, it's that little slightly extra level of commitment mm-hmm. where it's not just a thumb turn where any, any like 12 year old kid waiting for like the trolley to start moving could just mm-hmm. turn it and then, bone the door uh but these are the kind of keys that like every emergency vehicle has a little set of silcox keys in it you know so that that would make sense to me yeah the the symbolic symbolic locks i think about like um a lot of people who live on land will have gates right and and you know a gate that has no camera on it or whatever like anyone can get past them a lot of them aren't even locked but a lot of them are pretty much there just for the like the security of like you put up a no trespassing sign and a gate and even if the gate is unlocked it depends i think this is state by state um the police can't come in without a warrant or if they do mm-hmm. you can say leave you know mm-hmm. and um and so it's not about no one can get past this gate how would anyone ever figure out how to like drive around the gate or something right <laughs> um but it's still a a useful thing. And it's funny to me because I don't love a world of like locks and fences and gates and stuff, but mm-hmm. you know, while we live in this world, it, it seems to make sense to figure out how to, how to keep ourselves safe. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. D- yeah. D- barriers, uh, demarcate as much as they deny or delay entry. Yeah. Uh, and it's, there's all, as you point out the insidiousness, it's almost like copyright law, mm-hmm. like companies have to be dicks Mm-hmm. If they don't protect their patents and trademarks, they lose them. They're like, well, you didn't try to protect that. So they have to send all these cease and desist crap. Yeah. Um, as you point out with your property, um, there's different protections under the Fourth Amendment for open fields versus curtilage. Mm-hmm. And curtilage is defined only by the boundaries that are you know, enclosing it. And a properly designatable, like this type of fence, and this was a very clear cut fence, not even like a barbed wire fence, mm-hmm. but it's a proper picket, you know, like a, you have a a fence that limits visibility. These are all things that play into the factor of what level of privacy is someone trying to set for themselves. And that actually informs under the law, what expectation of privacy or invasion of privacy is occurring under the fourth amendment. Oh, okay. God, so that's just so wild. Um, When you do your work or when you would imagine leaving and needing to be able to move through the world in a, where law looks very different. Do you consider mm-hmm. like 
most of what you do seems to be like non-destructive methods of entry, right? Do you also mm-hmm. do destructive methods of entry, like um, you know crowbars and bolt cutters and things like that? Yes, uh, when authorized, we we have definitely um, done that on mm-hmm. different jobs. And sometimes, like it's, I just did a job on an army base last week mm-hmm. where somebody there was a GSA safe like wasn't operating correctly. I had to, as the sanitized language in our industry is, I had to neutralize the container. Uh, <laughs> and it was very destructive. It uh-huh. was very loud uh, in the in the middle of this, like, uh-huh. you know, unit. I was just going to town with power tools. Okay. Uh, but uh, outside perimeter fence, we have, uh, we have definitely done some destructive work on perimeter fence when authorized. Mm-hmm. It's also really fun to trench under fences uh, quietly or climb them. Mm-hmm. There are tools that are just known as fence climbers. They look like these, uh, they're kind of J-hook looking tools where you can slip them through the fence on a chain link fence. Oh, interesting. And it just turns into a ladder instantly. It's, mm-hmm. yeah, if you look up like, you know, fence climbers as a tool, mm-hmm. um, you'll see they, they're these little folding feet that you can go whoop, 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 and then up over the fence and whoop, 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 pull them out the other side. I miss being small enough that like, I remember when I suddenly was like too large to just magically be able to climb chain link fences. You know, I have, I have not been able to do so unaided for a while. I remember like, you yeah. know, like a, Oh, I mean, when I was like a little kid, ride yeah. your bike to the baseball field. Yeah. yeah. And you're oh, just yeah. like, your feet fit inside the links. So oh yeah. Just, yeah. Yeah. Your sneakers, your toes would be right in there. It was perfect. Yeah. Um, okay. Yeah. Cause one of the reasons I ask about like, you know, people used to sort of laugh about it with, uh, with dumpstering. I mean, most of the way that people would get into dumpsters was usually sort of bypassing locks and things where you can like, um, pull the hinge out of the back of the, mm-hmm. you know, if it's locked in the front, you just pull the hinge out and then you pop it open the other way. Or like if it's mm-hmm. a plastic lid, you can kind of just like sometimes just jump on it and it bends enough that it yeah, um, goes through. But then, you you know, some people will be like, okay, well, we're going to pick this lock. And then someone's like, well, it's a lot faster to just cut the lock. And now obviously you're changing your relationship with that particular grocery store um, when you cut the lock. But I, I just, I think of like, I don't know. Sometimes the expediency of uh, destructive methods of entry seem seem um... okay. Well, like another example of this: the, the first time I, I really hung out with um, locksmiths was when I was a, a squatter in Amsterdam, and there would be and squatting was legal, but it was only legal. So it was kind of similar to what you're talking about, but like a, a hair more dangerous in that it's illegal to break into a building, even if it's empty unless you successfully break in before the police stop you and put a bed table and chair inside. And you can do all of that while the cops are outside trying to stop you. As long as there's enough like people preventing the cops from getting to you. It was this weird game. It ended in about 2011 or so when they illegalized squatting again. Um, Oh man, I never knew that. And so you'd have these teams of squatters who were mostly professional locksmiths, but it was interesting because they never picked locks. They would go the night before, they would check it out, and they would come back with crowbars and wedges, and they would um, break open the door because they have to do it in like 30 seconds while cops are trying to arrest them for doing exactly what they're doing. It's very... (laughs) It's very weird. But so I grew up with that as I grew up. I was an adult, but like, you know, that I, I came up into understanding physical security from this, um, this more destructive angle. I don't know. I was, I was curious whether you had work with this kind of stuff. That's why all. I, no, I mean, I, I'm not usually one to wish that, uh, any kind of destructive means was employed. I, mm-hmm. I really do like the bypassing element because mm-hmm. it splits the, those two worlds. Yeah. It's bypassing can be as rapid 
as mm -hmm. something destructive, but as light touch as a non-destructive entry as a mm -hmm. manipulation attack. No, that makes sense. Um, so you're not going to throw a crowbar in your, your go bag. Probably not. Uh, I do in the truck, like mm -hmm. in our truck, we have, uh, you know, bolt cutters and uh, big pry bars and things. That's just because there's a job box in the back of the truck that has a bunch of different tools in it. Mm -hmm. And if you're in a situation where something is badly, you know, if, if literally someone says, Hey, I, I need to get in this thing. I have no other way in. Well, okay. Mm -hmm. Take out the bolt cutters with big cheater bars on them, I guess. Yeah. Okay. So we're coming up on an hour. And so I guess I kind of wanted to ask whether you have any last thoughts or things about um, individual community preparedness or about uh, physical, physical security penetration, um, including like, like if someone's interested in, in knowing more about this or even getting into it professionally, do you have any advice for them? Sure. Uh, the real key word in that you've used there and is so very, very often absent from these discussions is the word community. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, any kind of preparedness, it's like that whole, well, all right, I've got, I've got my gun with my magazine of ammo in it. Well, when you exhaust that magazine of ammo, either you <laughs> better have really, really neutralized and like prosecute every single threat in the vicinity, because if you're out, you've just called a ton of attention to yourself mm -hmm. and now all eyes on you. Like, what are you doing? You mm -hmm. need to have your next move planned. The same thing holds true for any kind of preparedness where, you know, much of what what I said from the very beginning, Tara and I, like our plan is not, Hey, let's get everything in the car. And then what, like live in the car out front of the house. No, the whole <laughs> idea is to get to the next place, get mm -hmm. to the next page. Um, either get out to the cabin, get over to this person's house or that person's house. So having a community of people that expect you that you say, if you ever picked up a phone and said, something is bad, I'm coming. We would say, yeah, the guest room's ready. I'll mm -hmm. pull down the Murphy bed. Or likewise, if we called them and say, wow, shit's no good here. Can we come out there? They'd say, yeah, you know, we got that. We've got the whole separate property. You can take the tiny house on the east side of the property. Mm -hmm. uh, so anyone who thinks that, and I think this is really the failing of that old generation of like kind of 80s prepper, right? Yeah. That was a person who was, was in it for themselves. I don't want to paint any community with a broad brush like that, but mm -hmm. a lot of that mindset was, well, I need to be ready. So I can withstand so that I can come out on top is really that if you boil it down, that's what a lot of, I think the old mindset was. Yeah. And I really think that's dumber than shit. Yeah. Because it has <laughs> to be, what do we do together? Yeah. Like what do, what tools do I have that you don't have? What, what skills do you have that I don't have? And having a network of people that you can turn to, if I encounter any, if I encounter a weird firearm I've never seen. And I'm trying to figure out how to make it run right. I will call Carl because mm -hmm. he's better than that at me, uh, than me at that. Like he's, he's just better. Mm -hmm. If someone else has, you know, dropped a deer, I can clean it, gut it, get it prepared, but I'll say, well, what else could I do with this deer? Well, Rich, you've been hunting deer since you were way younger than I ever have. Mm -hmm. What do I do with this deer? Having, having more people that you can turn to and having more skills. Our brains can only learn so much so fast. Yeah. But someone else who knows music, someone else who knows medicine, that's how we, re that's, what's this? Th it's the, um, hang on, I can check my notes. Oh, society. That's right. We've been doing this for a while. It's called society. Yeah. It's actually like, a really good idea. We, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's the part that gets lost in a lot of these uh, weird Mad Max fantasy, yeah. I am the lone survivor 
plans that people have. I don't get it. Yeah, I've I've talked a lot about how people and relationships are sort of the best resource that one could possibly have for almost mm-hmm. every crisis situation. Um, yeah, and yeah, yeah. The the bunker mentality is is kind of what I usually end up calling it, and it. Yeah, it's a good phrase. It it, it it's what turned me off of any of this stuff. But then at some point I just was like, well, um, you know, I like being prepared for things. And, you know, a couple years ago, a friend of mine who I'm hoping to have on the show is a environmental land use engineer. And she studies how food moves around the country and its environmental impact. And, you know, a couple years ago, like she called me and she's like always the person to kind of calm me down from most of my like random political rants. But she was like, there's a decent chance that there's going to be interruptions in the food supply. And I was like, okay, like at that point, you know, the thing that that's when I started buying buckets of beans and rice. And I don't like, Mm -hmm. I haven't like filled, you know, sheds and sheds with them, but I'm like, well, I would like to be able to feed 10 people for six months in the worst case scenario, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, And everyone's going to have different things that they're going to want to prepare with. But, uh, but that's one that made sense to me. So, yeah. Were you speaking to her around like last March or April, I guess? No, it was actually, um, it was about two years ago. It was, uh, oh, wow. maybe even a little bit longer than that, maybe three years ago. And it, it didn't come to pass, but it was some stuff around drought, um, that was happening a couple years ago that basically like, you know, and, and she called me back to be like, you know, I, okay, I don't think that that is actually happening this year. It wasn't like sound the alarm, you know? Um, but yeah, no, it, it, it definitely, uh, <laughs> the sort of joke that I keep making is we're all preppers now, you know, and that like most yeah. people need to have at least three weeks of food at home now if they, if they can afford it and have a good enough home to keep three weeks mm-hmm. of food, you know? Yeah. And at the very beginning of the pandemic, when it was still, God, I don't want to, I'm not dismissing this at all, but it was quirky fun to some people, like the, mm-hmm. we'll call it the bread making phase. Yeah. How many people were reaching out to their, some people had starter for sourdough and some people didn't. And mm-hmm. some people were sewing a lot more because they had a sewing machine and some people didn't. Yeah. I personally was like, we had, we had plenty of yeast because Tara ordered it. Mm-hmm. We do have a sewing machine, but other people were borrowing it. And I was Johnny Ammo seed around parts of Seattle <laughs> because nobody could buy ammo. And I was just giving away five, five, six to anybody. But like, all right, just, just take these two mags and keep them around. Okay, yeah. You can take two, get, get me back later. Get me back later. Yeah. I I share what I have and this is what I got. Yeah. No, I, it makes sense. And actually, it's funny at the beginning of it all, I was looking at my like 400 rounds of five, five, six. And I was like, well, ammo prices are up and 400 rounds is enough. And now I'm like, oh God, I should have bought it when it was like only 50 cents around. Um, yeah, that's that's perpetually. I mean, we all look back on what firearms used to cost and things that you could have bought then. That's that's a losing game in my mind to, yeah. to play, you fool yourself into thinking what we could have done. Yeah. But thankfully, I've been divesting more and more of uh, my ammo. I've been letting other people who go to the range with me. Mm-hmm. Uh, because up here in, in the Seattle and the Pacific Northwest, I've had a lot of people reach out to me from communities that aren't necessarily at home in the gun world. In mm-hmm. fact, I just was on a podcast talking about this recently. A liberal gun club has a podcast where I was talking about like, yeah, a bunch of t- traditionally like BIPOC people or mm-hmm. LGBTQIA people have reached out and like on DMS and said, Hey, um, I'm interested in guns. I hate all the 
Trump bullshit Mm -hmm. at gun ranges, but you seem safe to talk to. Can you tell me about guns? So a few of us will go to ranges together. Mm -hmm. And these were folk who were just getting into shooting during the pandemic. And I was like, Mm -hmm. well, here, just here's 50, 50 box of 50 and nine mil, like just use it and don't buy the $2 a round. Don't do that, please. Yeah. I'd much rather it be purposed for this right now because I will always get some more later. And that same sort of mentality of, if I really get through two or three ammo, like mag, like a couple of magazines with a pistol, mm-hmm. you got to be on the next page because right. that's not a, that's not a sustainable solution. Solving problems that way, right? Totally. You're gonna something's wrong if you haven't transitioned to the rifle or gotten the fuck out of dodge. Totally. No, that's actually I really like that as a as a practical example of like one of the things I talk about a lot in this show is that the reason to get the stuff while you can get it is so that you can get it to the people who need it when it's no longer available. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. you know, if, if nothing else, like walking around a demo early on in the, the uprising, handing out KN95 masks to people, mm-hmm. you know, because I was like, well, I'm sitting on a hundred of these and um, it, this is where they belong. And it just felt, I was like, ah, like, cause I, I had a hard time connecting. What do you do as like, when you're the person who thinks about preparedness and it's hard to get your community to think about preparedness. Like I remember at one point recently I was talking to my landmates and I was like, look, like if nothing else, we have all that food. And my landmate was like, what, but did you stockpile salt? I'm like, yeah, of course I have a giant can of salt up. Oh, you're making fun of me. <laughs> um, <laughs> and like, of course I have a giant can of salt. I'm annoyed that I don't have like giant cans of coconut oil, you know? Um, <laughs> but that goes bad. That's true. But but yeah, no, so I, I really like that um that you've been doing that and, and I've had the same experience with firearms where people who I know from like, you know, pretty strong liberal backgrounds are just like, Well, I'm queer and don't want to die. Uh mm-hmm. what do I need? And then they hate that my answer is an AR fifteen. They hate it. But <laughs> I explain why and then they think about it and they either do or don't. You know, yeah, that's literally the the one hour sort of talk that I give on a privately open, semi open sort of Zoom, mm-hmm. maybe once every month or so. Now it's just people who are in that position where they're like, "This isn't my community, but I want this knowledge. I don't want to look foolish and waste money. What do I do?" Yeah, and I have this whole little rundown of a talk. Yeah, because it's there's a billion talks out there that are like intro to firearms. Yeah, that's fine. That's out there. I have what I call it's, it feels like for many of us who weren't the popular kid, because I certainly wasn't, it's like going to a new school <laughs> mm-hmm. and you're in the lunchroom for the first time. And you're like, where do I sit? Am I going to be an idiot? Am I going to, am I going to have no friends? Am I going to make a bad impression? <laughs> it's little questions like two, two, three versus five, five, six. Mm-hmm. Are they the same? Yeah. And I walk people through, I'm like, well, clearly they're not because they have different names. Right. But, but the technical answer is they effectively are, except for small minutia. Yeah. And then the very technical answer is, but that small minutia means a whole lot to a few <laughs> very serious people. And here's the details. Yeah. Oh, uh, God. Yeah. When all that stuff like turns people off anyway, I think when you just like have to like know all of this super specialized vocabulary when it's like, but then it's funny because then I, you know, I started off being like, oh, fuck all the super specialized vocabulary. And then the more I dive into it, the more I'm like, oh, that's actually kind of interesting, you know, but it's the same with all prepping shit. I'm like, mostly I just want people to fucking buy extras when they can of their food and like 
have some plans and start talking to their mm-hmm. friends and neighbors about what to do in terms of times of crisis, you know? Yeah. Well, I think I've, I've, I've probably stolen enough of your time. Um, how can people who this want to see more of these talks or how, how can people find you online? Well, um, I am at Davian Olaf, the unpronounceable, unspellable, you know, get it wrong easily name, uh, D-E-V-I-A-N-T-O-L-L-A-M, or mm-hmm. probably down in show notes or something. I'm, mm-hmm. I am that on many platforms. Uh, I am on YouTube. I am on Twitter. I'm on Instagram. I'm mostly just a professional swear word sayer on the internet. <laughs> but I did have this blog post that I'll mm-hmm. throw you a link to. It's, it's kind of the people often email me. I, I regularly get people who reach out and say, hey, you know, I really thank you for this material. It's been really enlightening, but what you do is so cool. How do I get into that field? I think I might be able to do this. Mm -hmm. And I have a whole answer. It's like a very long answer that I've been tweaking and adding to over the years. And it's mostly a sort of my own story of the path I took and everyone's path is different, but it's hopefully full of some guidance that people might have. And I'm happy to share that link to anyone who wants. And uh, the, the industry is always growing. The tech community and the hacker world are nothing if not expanding and welcoming. I hope if uh, if you talk to the right people, mm-hmm. there's a few fashy <laughs> asshole hackers, but fortunately, no one pays about attention to them anymore. <laughs> uh, yeah, the, this is a great community to be involved in. Don't be afraid to reach out. Don't be afraid to ask questions. Um, I think the hacker community is really defined as welcoming to those who come with a thirst for knowledge, not um, a pretense of "oh, I'm the biggest badass in the room." You're not mm-hmm. going to get traction with that, but hey, what you're working on, it looks cool. Can you tell me about it? It's a great way to start with a lot of people. Okay. All right. Well, uh, thank you so much. Thank you for having me. This is wonderful. Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed this podcast, uh, please tell people about it. Please post about it and tell people in person and stuff like that. Word has been going out about the show and that makes it kind of all feel worthwhile to me um, because the goal of doing this is for people to hear it. And if you tell algorithms, the algorithms will tell other people that what you listen to is worth them listening to. So it's why liking and sharing and subscribing and rating and reviewing and all that bullshit has a really disproportionate impact in terms of you know the amount of time it takes to do those things, uh, which is actually really fucked up. And I feel really dirty every single time I advocate that people do all those things. But that's the way of it, at least right now. If you want to support the podcast more directly, you can do so by supporting me on Patreon. My Patreon is patreon.com slash Margaret Kiljoy. And I put up a lot of zines, although I'm pretty far behind on that because I've been focused so much on the podcast. But there's still like mm, like almost 40, I think, zines at this point that you can go back through and read if you want. And uh, I also put up different you know, music from my various projects and things like that. And um if you make less money than if you live off of less money than I make on Patreon, just message me and I'll get you everything I do for free because that's the direction that money should go in as much as money should exist. But in particular, I would like to thank Chris and Nora and Haas the dog, Kirk, Willow, Natalie, Sam, Christopher, Shane, and the compound uh, for making this podcast possible. And I'm particularly excited that for all the support I've been getting, because now I'm able to hire a uh, transcript, a transcriptionist transcriber i haven't actually um asked her what her job title is but i've been able to hire someone to to transcribe the episodes and i i hope that that makes it more accessible to more people and i you know 
it's a lot of work to do that. And I'm really appreciative of the transcriber who's listening to me right now typing this. Well, not literally right now, but we'll be listening to this later and typing it. So it's really funny to be typing about yourself. Isn't it transcriber? Anyway, I hope everyone listening has a really great time in the near future. Stay safe. Thanksgiving was always shit. It's never been anything but shit. And it's extra shit this year. And everyone has their own opinions about that. And the dark is coming for us, but then the sun will return.